For September 8th, 2014, this is episode two of the PHP Roundtable. Today, we're going to try and wrap our heads around this idea of functional programming in PHP. We'll also touch on non-blocking, asynchronous, and event-driven concepts. Yikes. I'm your host, Sammy K. Powers. Got an awesome panel of people who know what they're talking about on the roundtable today, including Jeremy Mikola. He's the core contributor to uh, the MongoDB PHP. Sorry, project. I just reminded you how to mis- how to pronounce my last name. You What's take it? that back, sir. Mikola. Oh, sorry, Mikola. <laughs> the accent is only O. See, I actually wrote out this little pronunciation key, and I still screwed it up. Okay. And I have a bachelor's degree in linguistics, which didn't help me at all. So, um, <laughs> Jeremy Mikola, core contributor to the uh, Mongo. Uh, DB PHP driver. He gives many talks at many conferences, and he's the guy behind the impromptu PHP conference WorstCon in Chicago, which is coming up in September. Actually, it's coming up in a few weeks, right? Two weeks. In two weeks. Um, and that is, um, w- what can we expect at WorstCon this year? Uh, there's going to be puns. There's going to be quite a lot of puns. Uh, definitely some sausage, some road trips. Uh, maybe we'll get Phil Sturgeon a job. So... Uh, should be very exciting. I like to think it's going to be the best and the worst of Chicago in one one wonderful weekend. Oh, it sounds like a lovely time. Um, and that's actually going to be close to where me and Kyle are. Kyle's also at the table. Um, and you're also drinking a Sculpin beer. Um, uh, yes, I am. Uh, yes, I, so I, I just tonight learned why it's called why Sculpin has a fish logo. The, the Sculpin that uh, you're talking about the the static site. Yes, the, the static site uh, generator. Yes. From Bo Simonson. Who I will be seeing this week at Madison PHP. Ah, yes. Sweet. And he's actually, I think he's going to be at WorstCon. Uh, yes, I, he, he was thinking of taking it off because he uh, had to do a run on Sunday, but I cajoled him into coming down on Saturday. It's only, <laughs> it's only an hour drive for him, so we, we, we oh, have nice. him like 14 hours from New York. So. Sweet. Well, okay. Well, also at the table, we have Chris Bowden, who is a React PHP core developer. He's the author of uh, Ratchet. Um, and also an avid squash player. Welcome. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks for coming on board, man. So what, you squash? You squash a lot? Squash. He squashes squash bugs. <laughs> <laughs> I create them, squash them, whatever. Same thing. Uh, no, squash is a, a racket sport, and uh, that's what I do to unwind and get out of the computer chair. So when you're done ratcheting, you racket. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Nice. And um, also at the table, we have Mr. Glenn Hinkle, who is the uh, the core developer to Mojolicious, or a contributor, core contributor to Mojolicious, which is a Perl programming uh, language for, for, that doesn't sound good at all, a web framework for the Perl programming language, I'll say that. And I unmuted him, and I can't unmute him. He's in his car. Uh, are you able to unmute yourself? I accidentally muted you, buddy. He's, uh, he's flying in from uh, Arizona, and he's in his car joining us for this. <laughs> he's poking at the screen right now, and he just said, I'll screw it with his hand. So I'm not really sure how to unmute him. Hold on. Oh, there he goes. All right, there we go. Yay, welcome. <laughs> so you just got back from Desert City Swing in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, because you were competing in West Coast Swing, which is one of my favorite dances, actually my favorite dance in the whole world. How did you do? Did you did you compete in anything, Jack and Jill's? I I didn't compete. I just critiqued and mocked everyone else. I'm <laughs> I'm, in, I'm really I won at critiquing and mocking everyone. That I'm really good at that. So after you're done mocking everything for your test, you go and you compete and mock everybody at the at the dance competition. Yeah. 
You're just full of marks. Pretty much. <laughs> awesome. Well, I also have uh, Kyle Schatzel at the table, who's a PHP programmer from Chicago, just a, a few blocks from where I am here in Chicago. Uh, welcome, Kyle. You you actually used to be a big security guy, right? Hashing lots of passwords? Yeah, something like that. I also critique and mock uh, just in a different way, especially get to do it today with all these guys doing the functional programming. Uh, nice. But your security, your security stuff that you were doing wasn't actually specifically password hashing related, right? No, I did AppSec, so uh, I could definitely uh, hash some passwords. I don't know if that's that's a really crappy way to say that. <laughs> I can rehash passwords, dehash passwords. <laughs> nice. Every other figurative out there, they're all ridiculously stupid. No, I was just referencing your security guard. Um, days. That's all. <laughs> yes. Electronic bit security guard. Actually, I was the, uh, the electronic security bit terrorist, maybe. And this wow. is the guard. That's cool. All right. We'll get right to the topic here. Um, our topic is functional programming and PHP. And it's such a big topic. We, we kind of have to make a few definitions of some keywords and try to figure out what all this stuff means because I have no idea what it means. So we're going to try to figure that out. Um, Glenn. Uh, if you had to define functional programming and give a summary, what, what would you say functional programming is for you? Um, I would say for me, it's about, I'd say it's about how you consider your, your program flow. Um, it's not thinking in terms of state and instead thinking in terms of, of flow. And the best way that I think of it is functional programming is to imperative programming as a curve is to a derivative. And uh, maybe that's too geeky for people. Um, it is for me. But, uh, but <laughs> thinking in terms of, um, I, I think in terms of state, like state doesn't actually exist in real life. There's no such thing as a point on a curve. There's just too tiny. There's just, you, you try to measure the points on a curve with calculus using, using two, two points on it, and you kind of get an approximation. And that's the same way that programs should work. If you think in terms of state and storing state, then you're ignoring the reality of what's happening. Instead, it's just a constant flow of information that's going through. And you use state to represent that, that constant flow of information. Does that make sense? That's not how most people would define functional programming. That's how I define it, because I think it gets much more to the core and the principles of the mathematical uh, underpinnings of it. Cool. Um, does anybody else have any thoughts on that idea of what what functional programming is? Is that is everybody sort of on the same page? Or uh, that was a really interesting metaphor, which I had never heard before. But it, I mean, it it definitely uh, helps to hear it explained that way. Cool. Well, uh, I mean, that kind of leads into your second question, I guess, right? Absolutely. What, what you, I guess you have this. You have the show notes <laughs> up. I guess. I, yeah, I guess. So, <laughs> the viewers at home won't realize this, but Sammy K is a phenomenal. He had like a six pages of notes for tonight's podcast. So this is the most well prepared. It maybe it maybe may not show on the video, but we are <laughs> adequately prepared uh, for tonight's discussion. So, well, thanks, Jimmy. Yeah. yeah. So, second question is, what is state? Yes. Yeah. How uh, would you define state? Because Glenn mentioned uh, it's not about managing state. So, what, what is right. state exactly? And so, yeah, I think if you look at code examples of functional versus the way we normally write programs, there's no restrictions. As a normal PHP developer, like I'll just create variables for stuff. And whether we have classes and things, we have members holding data. So state is just holding data around in memory and then having it available to you later. And really, if you look at a functional program 
where everything is basically applying itself to other functions and the results of functions, you don't have these, like one of the first things you give up is like, I'm not going to create variables and then hold them around. And so that's definitely a form, like state is pretty crucial to imperative programming because you, you just create these variables. And that's, I mean, essentially your, your state. You have things that are immutable. Uh, and uh, looks like we just lost Glenn. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, save, yeah, saving, saving your data around in memory, uh, which can lead to some really lazy uh, design. And that's what lets you write functions that are hundreds of lines long. It's kind of hard to do that in a functional program. Right. So, and we're going to probably come back to this idea. Well, no, we will definitely come back to this idea of um, what state is as defined in PHP, like assigning state to a variable and like what we can and cannot assign. Um, but uh, before we get to that, um, you mentioned mutable or immutable. Um, uh, does anybody, Chris, uh, want to take this this one? What is mutable and immutable? What does that mean um, for an object or a state? Um... Mutable means uh, it can be changed, uh, whereas immutable can't, and that's kind of the basics of it. The principle of why, though, is what I always look at, and why would you want or not want to mutate or uh, have an immutable object, and that it's easier to control. If something doesn't change, then you know what it's going to be. Um, if you have an object that you pass around and um, you have a variable hanging on it, and that can change, every place that you pass that object to now has to worry about what the variable, what that, that value of that variable is at that time when it's mutable. Whereas if something's immutable, you can pass it around and not worry about it changing. Um, and just to go back a little of what I, how the, the, the line was a very interesting way of um, defining functional programming. I've never heard that before either. Um, the way I try to describe people to, to associate is um, it's like unique piping philosophy. When you're in a prompt and you pass things to other programs with the pipe, and you, that's, that's functional programming to me. You take one thing, you have an input, and it gives an output, and you pass it along to the next thing, and you just chain it along together. So is this sort of like an anti-global scope idea? So it's just like you're only concerned with what you're given, and then you poop out something else? Absolutely. It's definitely part of the, um, uh, the graph solve philosophy of you have one, you have X number of inputs and one output, and there's cool. no state and there's no change in between it. Sweet. It, it's not con it's not concerned with what the function that is given. Right. Cool. Um. All right. So we just got a few more terms I want to kind of go over before we um, start diving into some more specific functional programming and PHP stuff. Um, something that most, I guess, programmers will be familiar with is this idea of object-oriented programming. Um, Kyle, I'm going to put you on the spot. Um, what is object-oriented programming for you? Well, I mean, I guess if you compare it to, like, functional programming, um, you have, you know, functional programming, the way that I look at it, just to kind of give you a little background, it's more like a, I think of it like a math function almost, you know, variables A, B, and C will produce um, output, you know, D or whatever. And so you go, you know, step by step, and, and you go through the, the function to be able to, to figure out what you need at the very end. With with object-oriented programming, it's it's got the exact difference of immutability. Everything is changing. Everything has state, right? So you come up with these ideas or abstract concepts that, you know, you might be able to, instead of just having a strict, you know, function A, B, and C, you have some type of weird object, um, you know, like uh, right now you have uh, when riding a car, you know, so the car could be the object. And uh, 
the car has different properties which are changeable. Um, it might have something along the lines of you know wheels or, or steering wheel or what have you. And those things can be changed all the time. Um, so that's kind of the state of it, you know, being changed. Um, and that's, I don't want to say it's most of the time, but a lot of development right now in these days revolve around object-oriented programming, um, including most of our MVC frameworks and things like that. So that that's OOP, I guess, in a, a nutshell. Cool. Um, also, one one more, uh, I guess, keyword to, to talk about that's sort of a new-ish feature of PHP as of 5.3, uh, which is closures. Um, who wants to take on closures? Just a quick synopsis. Um, yeah, I mean, closures are really cool. Um, closures are just an honest functions. Um, really what closures come down to is it's a, a function that can be assigned to a variable or, I mean, a lot of times you use it for, like, callbacks. Um, so whenever you have something um, like a you know, ray map or a ray reduce or ray walk or something like that, you can assign a function to it. Um, and that's uh, something that doesn't need a variable um, to be assigned. It doesn't need an object, and it's, it's just kind of out there. Um, you can do pretty, some pretty cool stuff with closures. Um, obviously, in the functional programming, which I'm not a, a great functional programmer, so I'll let these guys handle that one. Mm -hmm. But you can definitely do some pretty cool things like uh, recursive. Um, now, you have to kind of do a special one. You can use uh, recursion. The closure is pretty cool. Um, also, you can kind of use them as, like, lazy loaders. They're like a lot of objects and a lot of MVC frameworks do, or a lot of frameworks do that now. Um, and you can that, – that's pretty much it. They're like a really quick, easy way to get logic into a very small piece of compact code uh, and be able to help with just kind of containing the scope of itself. Most of the time, closures just have scope of itself or, or of the parent. So like you can, um, you can send a variable using use from the parent – uh, to the closure function, uh, and that's whatever the closures declared, I think. Um, so that's pretty cool. You can definitely get some pretty cool stuff with that. Yeah, definitely, and I feel like closures are, are pretty uh, crucial to getting functional programming to work uh, in PHP. Um, so kind of uh, popping onto the topic a little bit more, um, Chris, I guess it would be kind of helpful to look at how a typical object-oriented program would handle state versus how a functional program uh, would handle state and just just like a just a quick example of of something quite basic that maybe we can try to wrap our hand uh, our heads around. Um, can you think of something off the top of your head? Um, it's easy to describe for an object oriented um, application because when you instantiate a class, so that's when you say new in a class name, that object itself is state. Um, if you have a class A and say uh, variable B equals new A, that object, that instance is the state and everything in it is a state. Um, in pure sense of functional programming, the, the paradigm is you don't have state. Um, now I've always, I wouldn't know how to describe how you store state in functional programming. Um, I know there's a way, but I'm not an expert. Um, if you, like Haskell is the most functional level programming language but that I haven't used. I've just read a bit about it. Uh, Glenn might be a better, might be able to better describe that. Yeah, um, I think you mentioned I, I've always I've always used functional style programming, but it's always been in uh, an empirical or an object-oriented programming language and just mixing the, um, the 
um, idioms of all the all the languages to, or all the feature paradigms together. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's it's interesting trying to to do something um, functional style in a imperative programming like uh, programming language like PHP because I think last time when we were doing a test run of the podcast, uh, Glenn had mentioned learning Haskell because Haskell is a uh, functional programming language, right? Like it by it is built from the ground up with the functional style. <laughs> is that the best way to describe right. it, Glenn? Right. It, I, it, I believe it started as a research project. Like, how do we, how do we, how do they do, how do you do functional programming, pure functional programming, and still deal with the fact that you have a real world? I mean, it, in in the real world, you you have to deal with representations of, of reality, which is what we refer to as state. Um, so, how do you do that with functional? Um, and and with Haskell. Um, well, there's different terms that I don't want to just throw around, but effectively, that this is where closures come in. Um, you can have you can have a, a subroutine or a, a closure, and you can store variables in that function, and then you can pass that function around just like input. And this is where the term higher order functions come in, because you can just you can pass you can store a variable um, or a value in in one function. And then you can store that function in another function and store that function in another function, and you can just pass that around. And that, that concept is, is what we do all the time, as in I say a word and you link it to some other meaning in your head, and that word and that meaning is linked to some other meaning, and it's just this infinite level of, of these in, infinite higher-order functions. Um, and that's the way we think. That's what we do. And that's what you do with closures and passing around state in, in functional programming. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Uh, I, I have a question for that. Um, so you're, I understand the concept you're saying, but the variable stored inside the function that gets passed around, is that function not holding its own state? Well, it is. Um, so so the, the, the idea is like you say, well, there, there's no such thing, that, or you, you don't store state. You still have to store something whether you call it state or not, because otherwise you have no record of what's what's going on. But what you do is you store state within a, a context, um, a small context, and that state, that doesn't change. So you can't affect other functions that are going on at the same time. And this is why functional programming is good for concurrency, because you can have a function, and you can have this function and this function, and they have their own little context of what we'll call state, and then you, you can do whatever you need to. Um, without affecting everything else, and you don't have to worry about like threads and 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 different things that can get really complicated because you don't have shifting sands of values. Each value stays. It doesn't. The state doesn't change, but the each value stays that way forever. True that. Um, I I actually want to um, quickly shout out to James Mallison who gave us a facepalm tweet about um, OOP being described as classes and properties. Um, so we were, um, the idea is that, uh, we're, we try not to just throw around terms, uh, just like OOP and then expect people to know what that means. Um, but we're trying to give them keywords to kind of Google afterwards, uh, in case they don't know what it is. Um, so the topic of the discussion really is functional style programming here in PHP and not necessarily going into depth about OOP. So, um, I appreciate you, uh, shouting out to us. Um, 
Also, um, I want to go ahead and move it on to this. Um, there's an, a NetToots Plus article. Uh, it's called Functional Programming in PHP uh, by Pat Coase Chaba, I believe is the way you say his name. Uh, and he was describing three guidelines to functional programming in PHP. Uh, and the, here are the three uh, guidelines, and we'll go over each one in, in a little bit more detail. So the first one is no assignments. Second is no mutable state. And the third is no while or for loops. And so for each one of those, um, I just wanted to kind of ask a few questions. So for the first one, no assignments, he describes we are not allowed to assign values to variables. We are, however, allowed to assign functions to variables. So here's that closure idea, um, assigning a function or an anonymous, anonymous function to a variable. Um, so I'm just going to throw this question out to anybody who wants to take it. Why can we not assign values to variables? I don't, I don't agree with him. It, it kind of depends on what you refer to as a value. So I'm going to, I'm going to drop one term because it's necessary. Monads? Something called referent. Um, refer. Sorry. I'm going to, um, I'm going to. Uh, there, there's one term called referential transparency, and what that means is you have a function or you have a value. Now, if that function returns a value, then it's the same as the value. Um, and the fact that if there, if, if, if that if they're referentially transparent, you can use them interchangeably. So what is a value? Well, if it also could be a function, then, then it's the same thing. So it kind of depends on how you think of value. Um, you can say that you don't assign values, but if you assign a function that always returns a value, well, that, practically, that's the same as a value. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if if the functions in this in this article are really just returning a single value and using it as a placeholder, then it's questionable. Like, what what is the what are you gaining there by using a closure? Other than you're making it indistinguishable from more complex. Well, that that if oh, we're losing Glenn. He's he's frozen in this really cool face of about to explain something very phenomenal, but I don't think it's I don't think the inner tubes are going to let him do it. You, you could probably dub over any answer. You'd like. <laughs> Post production editing. Uh, Glenn comes from a very uh, interesting perspective, um, being a core contributor to Mojolicious. He does a lot with non-blocking stuff, which is why uh, I wanted to kind of have you guys kind of discuss the way that Mojolicious does non-blocking versus something uh, in PHP that does non-blocking like React PHP, which we're going to get to in a little bit. Um, so I guess um, the idea of handling your models, like something from the database or some sort of permanent storage, is that state in in a sense um if it is i'm assuming it's just immutable like we can't ma manipulate it inside of functional programming um what are your what are your thoughts on that i think those things usually get a pass when you're dealing with a persistent data source uh and maybe uh chris or kyle can chime in on this but um Another, like another thing I've been going over is the endless supply of object calisthenics presentations in the PHP world, uh, of which I have one. And one of the rules there is like in structuring classes and things to keep the methods down. Um, so, so few data members, either your collection of things or you're just coordinating two different members and the relationship in between them. So you're like your classes don't have more than like two or three members, uh, if that. And this really doesn't apply when you're modeling database entities because in on, like no one is going to have database entities that are all fitting within just a handful of, of elements. Uh, people have much more complex data structures. 
Um, so I don't, I don't think that really blends in well with, I think these are like, if you look at, um, Glenn was mentioning Haskell, um, and I was just Googling some stuff on the side of, and there's some extensions in Haskell to like keep track of state. And if you're doing like a GUI app in Haskell, there's certain data constructs they have to allow for state things. I remember in college doing a uh, discrete math course and we were using uh, Lisp and Scheme was the dialect uh, for all the lessons. And inside the Scheme language, there were these extensions if you wanted to do like a actual GUI application and still for whatever reason, maybe you hate yourself, wanted to write it in Scheme, there were these extensions to, to have state uh, kept track in there. So there's like writing a purely functional app and then there's writing um, uh, something usable for if you're dealing with a database uh, with more complex models or you're a large like a interactive application where you have all these different uh, events and you have to keep track of more switches and knobs so it's yeah on, on one end yes haskell like the the language you could look at a haskell app and some of the contrived examples are purely uh functional but a full-fledged app probably is has some extensions to it i would i would think i i certainly haven't dealt with enough haskell to look no, I, I agree. To, I mean, to a certain extent, you kind of the the database is almost like your input or possibly the results of your it's output, form, right? It's a form of state, even if right. you look at it that way. Yeah, it is. So it's really, like with really high latency. <laughs> yeah. So like without knowing, um, you know, a ton about the the functional programming languages, which I don't, um, it kind of just makes sense, right? You have to be able to store the input and retrieve it, unless you're going to have you know, command line PHP running functional all the time and piping something to it. Um, I just, there's no other way to store it, right? So I, I, it definitely gets a pass in my opinion. Cool. Um, I'm going to move on to this next uh, point that, uh, um, uh, what's his name? Pat Kost Chaba, I hope I'm saying that right, uh, makes in his article about functional programming in PHP, and that is no mutable state. And we talked about this idea of mutable versus immutable, and they sort of, Synopsis was that mutable uh, is something, an object, some sort of value that you can change, and immutable is something that you cannot change. Um, and so he describes, we are not allowed to, in case of an assignment, to change the value of that assignment. We are also not allowed to change the value of any variable uh, that has had its value set as the parameter uh, for the current function. So no changing of parameters. Um, so the philosophy is once set, always set, like setting a constant on the fly sort of thing. Is that, does that even make I sense? I mean, this is, this is one of those things that makes testing easier, I think. Um, a good example from PHP core, I would say, would be like uh, the daytime uh, stuff that Derek uh, Rethens has contributed. Yes. So, in, uh, and he actually covers this in his most recent talk on dealing with dates in PHP. Um, they basically added... Uh, I guess in, in hindsight, it would have been nice if date times were these immutable objects uh, and if they were more integrated probably into the language. And in creating a immutable date type field, which basically doesn't have, because there's methods on date time that let you like subtract dates and or just modify the, the state of the date time object, which is essentially just setting the internal uh, member variables. And in some cases, it's a headache that you might pass a date time instance of something because in the when you're, when you're passing around variables to functions in PHP, they're usually not passed by reference unless you opt into that or if the, the function shows you that it takes things by reference. But with objects, they're always passing uh, just kind of an alias to the object. So a function can just go and modify your object without you knowing. 
so they have an immutable date time object and kind of treat it more like a value object that in, in that sense never changes the, like we set it once, that's the value it gets. Um, it's like strings in PHP are, and primitives are basically value objects. Like when we're assigning a new string, we're concatenating to it. It's for all intents and purposes, like the original memory is not getting altered in any way where PHP is just assigning a, a larger concatenated string to it. So immutable objects make your, the application more predictable. Uh, in this case, and maybe in his case, he's thinking inside the function, I don't have to track that the variable X is getting redefined to various different types multiple times. Uh, which is something a PHP would happily let you do. Or in a strongly typed language, if X is defined as an integer, it's always going to be an integer. I feel like I'm putting Sammy to sleep here. I don't know. No, no, no. I, I, I'm <laughs> like I said, this is not something that I'm uh, that I know well. So I'm trying trying to wrap okay. my mind around what that actually means in real world application. I feel like it's it's almost like a philosophy of maintaining a state that exists in this moment and not trying right. to maintain a state that we paint a picture for everyone else um, as if it's uh, like cross. Um, so if I'm trying to maintain state across uh, several different um, objects at once, then uh, some other object that's trying to use that object is going to freak out because why did you maintain, why did you change my state kind of thing? Whereas functional programming, it's only concerned within this like tiny little moment and nothing else will um, freak out that you've changed its state on it. So I, I guess that's what it's ultimately trying to keep from happening. Is right, I think it's like if, if you want to change the state of this, uh, stop using it and create a new one with a modified value. Got it. Uh, which I guess is a could be a problem in PHP with or languages where creating objects is, is expensive. Because um, certainly you look at the like functional languages where uh, creating these values, invoking closures, things like this. Um, like in, in scheme and listers, optimizations for tail recursive functions. So basically, if, a, if you have a recursive function that returns um, some value and the another invocation of that same function, the uh, runtime can kind of optimize it away and it doesn't have to have this whole stack for all the recursive values for all the function calls because it basically knows the recursion happens at the very end, so I just have to track my previous one value that I keep adding uh, to this. Uh, and those are things that we don't, you don't really have those optimizations in PHP. Um, like you can you can write a tail recursive function in PHP. That doesn't mean you might not you could still get a Stack Overflow because the language is not going to optimize for it. Stack uh, Overflow is a great with, website. Yeah, just okay. right, I'm just going to mark that <laughs> on the. We'll count that as a pun. So <laughs> before, uh, oh, you've got a pun checklist going here. Yeah. Um, well, I've got. We're going to go over this last one, and then we have to. I think we're going to have to take a mental break and talk about something completely non-programming related. But you did mention recursion, um, and I think that goes right into this last uh, guideline or criteria: is that there are no while or for loops that we can use in with functional programming in PHP. Um, we may. He says we may, however, define our own method to cycle through the elements of a set. So, this that means the only way that we can cycle through a list is through recursion. And what is recursion? Jeremy, yeah, this kind what of is recursion. Chris, what is recursion? <laughs> Jeremy, what is recursion? <laughs> Chris, what is recursion? We're up to five now. So this, I think, this goes hand in hand with the mutable state argument. That was amazing. What just happened? <laughs> we look at mutable state, and that's like the easiest example of like something I'd mutate might be like, well, four i equals. Uh, and I was actually going to ask this question, but I didn't want to get ahead of myself. So like four i equals zero, and then you iterate until the length of the list, and so you're mutating the value of i, right? And so uh, it's convenient if we're not going to allow mutable variables that we also don't allow for loops. Uh, so this uh, Pat goes here is a genius. Um, but and this, but 
the complement of this is like, so you have a closure that Kyle was talking about earlier, and instead of iterating and having defining code for the body of my closure, I'm gonna, wow, Glenn is transported out of his car. And into his, <laughs> that's incredible. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just, I'm just awestruck by that. So it's, in lieu of having um, the body of a for loop, that's an opportunity to have a function that we, or have a closure that we uh, execute on every element of a list which would usually be like uh, Kyle referred as uh, if we were using a ray map in that case or something like a ray reduce. Right. Um, that's actually used quite a, a lot as a classic example of um, uh, when we're talking about example. functional programming. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. totally. Um, so I, I'm going to just pop off of this mental craziness real quick and, and, and just ask you, Jeremy, you've got this, this PHP elephant behind you that is looking really beautiful. It's the red one, which is it yeah. Zen? The Zen that, elephant? That is, that is the big Zen elephant. I nice. usually wear it as a hat. How did you get the Zen elephant that you wear as a hat? In a, in a delicious stroke of irony, uh, the MySQL developer evangelist pulled my name out of a hat at ZenCon last year. Oh, beautiful. I want one so badly. Chris, do you have any PHP elephants? Yeah, I've got a couple. I've got the um, Arch and the PHP Women one. They're around the corner. Oh, those, those sound like ones that you could just buy. All right. Oh, they are. I... <laughs> just throw money and just get some elephants. That's all it takes now. How does one obtain a PHP elephant? Uh, these days, Kickstarter. Kickstarter, yeah. <laughs> I just I just signed up for the Kickstarter or back to the Kickstarter for the Laravel um, PHP um, elephant, which is an orange one. I've never seen an orange one. Or have I? I don't know. It yeah so. Kickstarter's got one for a Laravel one. And Glenn, where's your PHP elephant? Um, I have a vomiting raptor from the Mojalicious project. A what? I don't have it with me. I don't have a PHP elephant, though, unfortunately. Uh, did you say vomiting raptor? A... Yeah, that's the, uh, in the, the, the 404 page in Mojalicious is a vomiting raptor uh, with a unicorn. Um, <laughs> so that's... That, make, that makes sense. Yeah, doesn't it? <laughs> we're, we're gonna have to get a link to this. Okay, you, you're gonna have to post it somewhere. It's a vomiting what? Uh, do a search for Mojalicious Fail Raptor, and you'll see. But yeah, this I'll, I'll post it. <laughs> nice. Um, so, I, my my first first elephant was actually given to me by uh, Ornacar on Twitter, who left PHP for Scala. Oh dear. Uh, and so he left it behind at this old office. And uh, he offered it to me, so that's how wow, I got my. Wow, just like erasing history there. Just yeah, like, it's like I want nothing to do with these creatures. Aww. You have some erotic elephant stories. It's it's crazy. One you get from uh, MySQL, and another you get from the guy going to Scala. It's just it's too yeah. good to be true. <laughs> I don't I don't pay money for my elephants. I get them from experiences. You earned them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Um, I want to pop it over to Chris. I, want, I got a big question for you, buddy. What is React PHP? Um, React PHP is uh, an event-driven, non-blocking I.O. library. So what that means, since we have, I have to explain everything, is <laughs> when you make a network request, um, in PHP, by default, everything blocks, which means it will wait for the response to come back before execution continues. So when you write a line of code that asks, let's say curl, most people are familiar with curl, 
say, get me the contents of this website. The next line of code is do something with that content. The first line will yield, will um, wait for a response from the server before the next line, next line executes. Now, what non-blocking does is that it makes the request and it doesn't wait for a response to continue execution of the code. And that's what React is all about. Um, the name comes from um, Reactor pattern, which lets multiple sources tie into the core of it. Uh, so you can do all of these um, asynchronous networking things at one time. And that's a lot like uh, the philosophy behind Node.js. In fact, they're, on their site, they give the same exact description, event-driven non-blocking I.O. So are they essentially the same thing? Oh, my. <laughs> that's a dangerous question. <laughs> yes and no. Um, no. I'm, I'm going to help you out with that. I'm going to say the principles behind it are the same. Okay, that's, that's fair. Yeah, that's good. Um, Node denied event asynchronous programming. Node was, is just a language that fully embraces asynchronous. It does not do synchronous coding, whereas most languages that we are taught are and have since adopted asynchronous um, uh, paradigms. And so when we're talking right, like, about, go ahead. Like, it's like to 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 do what you to do this asynchronous stuff in PHP. Um, Chris and Igor basically had to, I, the original implementation was do it, write a software event loop to keep track of all the IO streams and the callbacks and ticks and things, the functions that we want to execute regularly, and basically make the event loop. Or you use some, like, libbyv C extension that's, uh, and use the, like, run the, use that event loop. But there's basically, that has to be added to PHP, whereas with Node, the it's like the language is itself, the, the runtime is an event loop. And so every library that exists for Node, everything has to do all of the IO through that, that one loop. There's no risk that you're gonna call blocking unless it's a computational thing. Any IO is going, not gonna be blocking if you're doing it inside Node's event loop. It's interesting you brought up a couple of keywords I was wanting to hit up on. Uh, you, we were talking about non-blocking IO or non-blocking input output. What is the difference between that and multi-threading? I'm going to defer to Kyle because Kyle said he was going to ask me this question earlier. So can I ask you the question again? No, you can answer the question. <laughs> <laughs> so no, I, I'm I interested think, in your response, though. It's interesting. I think the question earlier was uh, why would you uh, – we were talking about p-threads, uh, which is a uh, one of – I guess there's maybe a couple of them uh, – PHP extension that, uh, in this case, implements POSIX threads in, uh, in PHP. Uh, and so in that case, with um, pthreads, you basically have separate functions, uh, I guess, unless you maybe you register runnable classes like Java. That's a question, Kyle. I, I, I heard part okay. of that. What did you say? The pthreads, when, you, when you're running pthreads in PHP, are you just registering functions or are you registering like a, a runnable class? I, I don't, I'm not familiar with the interface where you dispatch um, a new thread. The, mm, I'm probably the most... I'm not going to be efficient in this question. Most of the pthreads are exactly lined. Most of the, the pthread functions are exactly lined up with the C functions. Um, okay. So it's going so to probably just dispatching a function. Yeah, it's it. it you okay. can you also have. Um, yeah, go ahead. That's that's the basics of it. Though. It's, they're almost okay. completely aligned. So in a, I mean, in a pthread, if you want to do multiplexed I/O in a pthread, are using pthreads basically keep your single. 
it's like if you run a shell script and you want to run curl six times, right? You'll probably just run curl and then background process it, and just to let the operating system deal with running them all concurrently uh, and scheduling between them. So there, there really doesn't have to be an event loop because you're not in a single thread of execution where you have to share your, you can't, you can only run one computational thing at a time. So, and that's why in a single threaded environment, like Node is single threaded and yet they can still scale up to however many thousand requests or uh, beyond, just because so much of the time is spent waiting on the actual IO to come back. And so when, when the IO is ready, then we will we'll dispatch something and hopefully it's a small function to go and like answer the HTTP request or take the message or write it back to the database or something. But where with, if you're dealing with threading, you, I don't think there's much thought put into um, dealing with event loops or anything like that. I'm sure, I'm sure there's frameworks, there's probably threaded event loop frameworks. So it just appro it approaches this idea of non-blocking a little differently, essentially, without an event loop, pthreads. Yeah, P -threads. Kind of, I'd say it's more the, br the brute force PHP double-ended hammer approach. I'll just create <laughs> more, I'll just fork a PHP process or just create another thread and not care about blocking because now my thread blocks the, I don't have to care about dis disrupting anything else in the program. Chris, Chris has a point on this, I'll defer. I just want to point out that um, asynchronous is about evented IO and that uh, your script continues running on while the network um, IO is happening. While threads, while they can do this in the way Jeremy said, and that multiple of them can do multiple requests and block on different threads, threading is about parallel execution Whereas asynchronous is about um, offsetting network requests. So threading can be used for so much more than just as a way to make um, uh, network requests. It's a way to do parallel computation. Yeah, and, and, and anytime you're using a non-blocking framework or anything like that, it, it can, you can still block if you, if you Absolutely, want. Yeah. There's um, the, uh, the excellent Fibonacci Node.js example uh, where someone implemented Fibonacci in Node.js and it, it just ran very, very slowly. <laughs> just because it was bound on computation, not not uh, network communication. Exposing the weakness is my favorite. <laughs> on both uh, React, and PH, uh, React PHP and Node.js sites, the typical example uh, that they give for this awesome non-blocking event-driven awesomeness is a web server. But um, most PHP devs never need to write a web server. I mean, you got Apache, you got Nick, whatever. How do you call it? What do you call it? Nick's name? Nginx. Nginx. Yeah. Only seen it ever written. I'm just kidding. Uh, what are some practical examples of React PHP um, that a typical PHP programmer might use? Um, the last thing someone should use React yeah. for is a web server, actually. <laughs> I don't know why we still have that example as our... What's the hello world? It's the hello world of async yeah pretty much um good practical uses uh i think the most we're seeing people do now is um uh, as a client like they're using not non-blocking as a web scraper uh, is what i've seen a lot of um um little um self-indulging here but as a web socket server um and we have a couple other non-blocking servers that are non-web but for other um, other purposes, like um, I we believe we have a stomp, and but at a lower level, everything just devolves down to a client and a server, and which side you want to use that on, and with which protocol. HTTP is just a protocol, and that's what most 
like Jeremy said, it's the hello world kind of thing. Every PHP developer has probably started doing a website. So that's kind of what we familiarize people with. I mean, this would be good to mention Stephen. Uh, so Stephen Rhodes was at Drupal Camp LA this weekend. Uh, and every time someone makes a new React presentation, it's like, oh, it's amazing. Uh, so he, he presented, uh, it was either uh, probably sometime over the weekend, and his he was showing us the demos from last week, and one of them was a like a game server. I think most of his examples were using it for um, HTML5 event polling. Uh, Chris can correct me here. And um, similar to like Chris's Ratchet uh, WebSocket server. So yes, it's like you're serving web requests, but you're not actually you're not trying to pretend to be Apache or Nginx in this respect. I think the most important thing I've seen someone do with React is they flew a drone. That's just awesome. Yeah, they, there's the AR drone interface. I that's what I typically get asked to do on a on a, a day when a client comes in. They they want me to fly their drones with PHP. So uh, we, yeah, um, with PHP exactly. <laughs> no, that's that's really great. Um, React PHP it uses an event loop, right, to handle all of this this crazy non-blocking stuff, correct? Cool. That, is, um, that is the core of React, and that's where the name comes from. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, this could be used in a long-term, or I mean, a long-running process from the command line for, um, you know, doing whatever from the command line. Um, lots of people have said that PHP is not a good language to use for long-running processes. Um, processes. Cal, Cal said that last week on your podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So is that is that still true, or what's what's the consensus? Uh, the latest and greatest of PHP. That hasn't been true for ten years. Um, PHP is also a bad object-oriented language as of PHP 5.3, or I mean 5.0, PHP 3, I mean. Um, 5.3 introduced garbage collection, and 5.4, no, 2 resolved circular dependencies, and 5.3 had garbage collection, I think. I forget the exact things, but it's been capable of doing long-running processes for many, many years now, and has become quite good at it. So would, that's, I mean, that said, it's still possible to get memory leaks, especially if you're using Doctrine. Um, so it's not, not necessarily PHP itself, but just the programs that you're, that you're using yeah. will have the leaks on it. Um, are there examples of where PHP would be a bad choice for a long-running process? That would be, you could write, um, it would be better to use like Python or Ruby or something like that. Or Perl. <laughs> Maybe this is a Glenn question. Glenn's going to say always use Perl, right? No, but I, I, this is a PHP podcast, so I don't want to say anything. <laughs> no, I, no, I would say there, there's probably, there's, probably awesome. there's, there's async Perl frameworks. So I, I mean, there's, there's tools in every language. I like uh, among, among the dynamic yeah. languages, maybe Python has the most mature because as tornado, uh, they have, which and other terms like to loop into that, they have like greenlets, they have ways of, of writing, uh, asynchronous coroutines. Uh, and then Kyle was talking about working with Go, which is not asynchronous, but they have a very nice yeah, model I, I for. Say, like... Go ahead, Glenn. I think his internet inner tubes is cutting out again. Oh no! Oh, okay. I, 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 I wouldn't say there's any. I mean, any any anything that you say is bad is just subjective. There's really there's really no. Um, it, the, whatever works for you, you, you go ahead and use it. Any any single threaded language these days is going to have some 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 sort of uh, non-blocking framework because it's at base it's just an it's just an event loop. I mean, 
the only one I've seen with PHP is React PHP. Mojalicious or uh, Perl has a couple. Mojalicious is one of them that has an has the event loop and the non-blocking framework and then a web a web for, web framework built on top of that. I mean, you can use whatever you want. It really comes down to what if you can get the job done with that tool. I was going to actually ask you about how uh, Mojalicious handles the non-blocking stuff in the event loop. And 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 it would be kind of well, cool to see how it, it might differ that's from React. The right there. Uh, well, I guess the um, question that, was: Is there is there like it a looks pure like software? A malicious is a little bit more. Um, it's it's a little bit. <laughs> I think there's like a 10 second delay going all the way out to Utah. It's <laughs> totally it asynchronous. <laughs> we should have multi-threaded Google Hangouts going on here. To, so I, I guess one question I have for Glenn is if. Um, do you have like multiple event okay. loop implementations? Because I, I know there's probably like a lib event binding for Perl and a lib EV binding just because it's so easy to have just bindings to C libraries. So are there multiple, and there's probably, a, you have like so the select function so you can, multiple ways to implement your own event loop or use uh, an extension? Question mark. Yeah, I mean, you can use select if you want to go that low. You can use select if you want to go that low level. And then there's several non-blocking frameworks for Perl. Um, what I what I specialize in is Mojalicious, which is um, uh, a non-blocking framework that's built upon the, the lower level non-blocking non frameworks. Um, and there are libEB bindings, so you can do you can you can make use of. Uh, of that to do things like 10,000 processes at, at, or 10,000 operations at one time, stuff like that. Okay. Um, but uh, but effectively, what to answer Sammy's question, it's it's all an event loop under um, at the base because these are all single-threaded single-threaded languages we're talking about. So effectively, you can only do one thing at a time, but with the event loops it gives the appearance of doing multiple things at one time. We, uh, can describe the event loop. Um, so I, I have an idea of what the event loop is in my head on actually how I would maybe possibly try to build one, but describe in more detail what an event loop is and how is how is it threaded, but we're sitting here talking that it's also asynchronous. Well, it's not not threaded. It's a single, right, it's a single thread, but we're also talking right. about asynchronous. So, so how, I mean, does, how does that event loop work? So the uh, the core of it, I think, is what it comes down to if you're writing. So if, like, supposing you're not using a C library, uh, which is like the event loop written in C. Uh, and let's say you're doing like a pure language implementation. So there's different ways to, um, some of the function names are select or pull or kpull. And these are just functions, ultimately C functions, that let us, like, what we'll, we'll ask the, We'll pass in a bunch of sockets or file descriptors or just things that we want to check, and we'll, the function will then come back and block for as long as we tell it to or maybe just instantaneously pull them if we don't want to wait at all. And we just tell us which ones are, have stuff to read, which ones we can write to, uh, and which ones maybe have errors because they got closed or terminated. Uh, and so at its heart, it's pulling a whole bunch of uh, streams or file descriptors or sockets at once and then getting the kind of a, a view of their state. And then from that point, we can know, oh, this is this socket's ready for reading, and you registered a callback to be invoked when there's data available to be read. So now the next part of my loop is after I do that polling, I will go then dispatch um, to whoever's listening on that particular socket. And so different, uh, like when we talk about like Node.js serving hundreds of thousands of requests a second, they're basically, that's how many like sockets that they're tracking at once. Um, and so that's 
is is definitely a issue because there's there's limits I think in in various polling implementations of how many resources you can examine at one time. Uh, so maybe things have to be batched up. Um, I don't know if the the other guys have definitely. I don't. This might be a limitation with like the pure PHP event loop for for React versus libevent and libev. Maybe they handle this differently. Um, the I know the pure PHP one in which the select I think is limited to 1024. But once you install right. libev or libevent, it comes down to hardware. Um, any right. language, whether it's PHP, Python, Ruby, Node, whatever, it's going to cop out eventually on the hardware limitation. Um, PHP might go out a bit sooner because it's a little heavier on the user land stuff. But uh, we've had people report thousands upon thousands of concurrent connections without any issue so far. Would it be would it be kind of fair to say that a, a, an event loop is basically just uh, almost like a while loop that takes the status of each individual either file descriptor or socket and then will run code almost like a hook or like you said a callback at a specific point in time is that kind of fair to say what an event uh, loop is yeah i'd say there's yeah. actually probably three three while loops so you do the event loop you do the polling uh, and then there's you probably you iterate over the ones that are ready to be read right. uh, and then you do the same for the ones that are writable and then the ones that have error conditions can you and, can you describe polling for me uh, well, so the poll function, and I guess I'll approach this in React's case. So the um, again, there's several functions, several actual C functions available with different implementations. There's poll, kpoll, and select, and they basically have a around the same interface. You pass in a bunch of file descriptors, and that by the by the time it returns to you, uh, the collections you passed in. So in PHP's case, I think you give a reference to an array of uh, file descriptors, and when the by the, when the time the function returns. The readable ones you sent in are kind of filtered down to the ones that are actually able to be read, and so that's what you iterate over. Um, so you're giving in a bunch of stream sockets file descriptors, all synonyms in this case, of what I want to read, things I'm considering for reading, writing, and checking for errors, and then also a timeout value. Uh, and the timeout is important because that, if we're doing an event programming, right? Uh, typically, all these the concept of the event loop is basically as long as we have these IO streams that we're interacting with, we're gonna, and if there's no other inputs, I'm not running like a, there's not a callback that I wanna, wanna run every one second that maybe does like debugging stats or something like that. Uh, I'll basically block until there's some readable, writable, or error event. Uh, so in that case, my timeout might be uh, unlimited. I'll just, my program's gonna essentially sleep until there's some IO activity for me. Uh, but in the event loop case, you might have functions that you wanna run regularly, or you might have said, there's a function I'd like to run three seconds from now. So now when I'm blocking on IO, I'm going to basically wait until um, there's an IO event or I'll wait up to three seconds because I know there's something else that I need to run anyway. Uh, so that's the general logic of the event loop is I'll, I'll wait uh, a limited amount of time if I'm just dependent on the IO. Uh, otherwise, I'll wait until I, I know there's something that I need to do a few seconds from now. Uh, and it, I think most of the frameworks cases, you, you have the ability to to have a deferred function I'd like to run a few seconds from now or have a periodic function. Uh, in React's case, there's also the concept of a tick, which is like every time the event loop goes through, I'd like to run something. Is, is that, is, um, so is that tick similar to um, the tick that you can find um, in PHP using um, like process no. control functions? 
No, it is not like it? it's not like PHP's declare tick, yeah, okay. uh, which actually runs every time a PHP uh, opcode is executed. So a tick in this case would be maybe the the, it's, it's the really just iteration a, of the event loop. Yes, well, yeah. each poll each poll is a tick essentially. Yeah. Uh, um, and Stephen Rhodes in IRC is uh, clarifying e poll is the Linux equivalent. KQ is the version on BSD. So there's uh, they all have similar interfaces, but they're kind of operating system dependent. Yes, the way the, um, the select works of to see what's busy, um, it talks to the kernel, and the kernel will say what's available, or the system will check it itself. So ePoll and the KQ are the newer, more efficient ways that the, the, the event loop will wait for the kernel to tell it what has changed. Rather, with the traditional select, it goes and checks all itself. It's not very performant. And this is why we always um, encourage people to install libevent or libev. Um, when they're going to, when they're using React, so that it's more performant, can handle higher number of concurrent connections. When you're using React for your serious business. Yeah. <laughs> what do you use React for, you guys? Just throwing that out there. Uh, I, I, I don't know. Does uh, Chris want to do this first, or I have a somewhat interesting anecdote story. Oh, you go, sure. go ahead. Okay. Uh, so I, I worked on the, I was not using it for IO at all, for network IO. I was originally using it for communicating with child processes because uh, I wanted to fork a process and then control it from a PHP script. And uh, we had a pretty kludgy way of dealing with this for the Mongo driver test suite. Because uh, we basically we used the Mongo shell, uh, which is basically a REPL, a JavaScript REPL. And that already had facilities to launch a cluster of servers for our test suite. Uh, and I basically wanted to interact with this in PHP. Uh, and so a coworker, Hannes, had wrote a pretty messy uh, collection of PHP that they totally worked. And uh, I was thinking like, oh, well, React, everything in React right now is for network IO. Uh, when we fork a process in PHP, we get the standard in, standard out, standard error as uh, streams, file descriptors. So why not try and make that work with React? Uh, and there was actually already a pull request. I kind of commandeered that and uh, finished it up and that became the child process component, uh, which was pretty interesting. Uh, still maintain it's probably a contrived example. For testing the MongoDB driver, basically, right? Yes. Yeah, the MongoDB PHP driver, of all things. So. Nice. Uh, I, honestly, I, I would think like a WebSocket server is probably one of the more reasonable things to do with it. And that usually, uh, Glenn was mentioning earlier that there's, yes, there's solutions in every language. So when it comes down to, well, why, uh, even just earlier I tweeted something and someone suggested Meteor.js for async uh, development uh, when I was tweeting out uh, Stephen Rhodes' React slides. And because, it, I mean, doing async programming in PHP seems ridiculous. But if you already have an application and a bunch of existing code that, that you could leverage with an async framework, so like other non-blocking code, um, it it's beneficial to use something in your language, and then you're much more easier to plug in the stuff instead of like, oh, I'm going to re-implement everything in in Node.js, uh, all my data model and uh, everything else I'm working with. Uh, and I th I think there there's uh, things in various state of usability for like communicating with MySQL and React. Uh, I made a proof of concept Mongo driver with it, uh, which is a really horrible API around it right now. Uh, but there's like certainly for things like the this the uh, message uh, inter-process communication and the messaging um, 
uh, Chris can chime in here, the different uh, things that integrate AP, um, like ZeroMQ in your React app, because those are, if you're dealing with an async framework, instead of actually talking to database, you probably just would rather work with a messaging server. Uh, and so those have existed for a long time. They're much more mature than the MySQL or the, the like Mongo integration for React. And so those are the, the fact that those are the things that exist and not the actual database drivers uh, kind of clues you in into what are probably the reasonable things to do with React. Uh, much like Python a few years ago, Python was um, a blocking blocking language until Twisted and I forget what the other one's called. Tornado. Tornado, Tornado. Yeah. were created and they had to rewrite every database driver and everything to be asynchronous and we're not quite as mature as that project is right now and some people are nice and starting to work with it. Um, I think ideally would be to have, and this won't happen for years maybe, is the core drivers, um, like the core PHP or the core MySQL driver for example, not matter if it's synchronous or asynchronous and then it can be implemented in either paradigm. That would be you know, a perfect case scenario. I think a huge thing is there is because the actual I think it's the MySQL native driver has a um, a way to do async queries or you just dispatch queries and get an async handle but it's the fact that it doesn't use any common event loop and it it's, runs its own event loop without right. exposing the socket so it's right. it's not like you you it might as well be its own thing and you you really can't integrate it. same thing with like doing multiple requests in curl uh, even if that's using its own async thing underneath it's not going to play nice with your existing event loop and we I mean we don't have interfaces and stuff that other things are going to depend on. Now what's been really nice is with PHP 5.6 the Postgres has had some changes to it mm -hmm. and Postgres can be running synchronously now. They also expose the socket file descriptor so we can take that tie it into our event loop Listen and on do it. pure purely asynchronous uh, Postgres now with can as of 5.6. tie into all that stuff? Actually, yeah, you could. Um, someone, the the developer, um, Daniel Lowry, is that? Uh, oh, R.D. R R Lowry? Yes. Okay. So he, he's the fellow who, um, who did the asynchronous Postgres stuff in 5.6, and he gave me some ideas and some code. He said with Postgres, what he, his proof of concept was that he um, tied it into the event, event loop, and when there were changes to the database, pushed it to the event loop, which then pushed it out to Ratchet. So as changes were coming into your database, you were seeing them live on your website through so basically, um, basically Meteor Meteor JS with Postgres <laughs> and PHP instead of JavaScript. Nice. So that is that is pretty interesting. If if all it takes is exposing a socket, um, I could totally see that happening with uh, the Mongo driver. Inspiration. It's happening right now. Yeah, I totally look into that. <laughs> Just have to well, convince Derek and Hannes that this is a worthwhile. Ah, uh, true, true, true. Um, well, to kind of bring this thing full circle, uh, how can we combine this idea of functional programming in PHP with React PHP? Are these things totally different? Did I just screw up trying to merge these things? Are we talking about two totally different subjects no, I, here? <laughs> I think the, the way the way you write callbacks, there's definitely overlap there because there's you you don't end up having much global state in React. Like a lot of when speaking some some of the examples, like you might keep track of this active connections globally. That's what a lot of the demos have. Like when you do the TCP chat server, um, but in a lot of your 
function like you're working with small closures that execute on results uh, and even when you're dealing with uh, promises which is an alternative to having nested callbacks for things you're basically processing and and then emitting a subsequent result which may be asynchronous uh, in piecemeal and so you're breaking up what would be a large imperative program into small executable chunks that all happen to depend on different asynchronous things um, I wouldn't say there's full overlap, but there's definitely the, like the, the concepts of the way you would, the things that you shouldn't be doing in a in a functional program, or the things that are not allowed, are probably also thing like best practices for uh, writing asynchronous programs, like avoiding that big computation, dividing your computations up into small chunks. A lot of the executional work you can do in React would be good as functional. The way I see functional is I, the way I see PHP is PHP encompasses, we, it's a pirate language. It steals everything from everyone else, and I think that's wonderful. It has object-oriented, it deals with state. Um, when you're talking React and TCP, TCP is a stateful um, protocol. You, you have connections open, you deal with a pool of connections, so you have to have some state. But PHP also can be used in a functional paradigm, and I see when you do your computation and um, uh, processing, I, using that in a functional style on the um, interfacing with React is a good paradigm to use, and it makes your code more defensive, and it makes it um, your input and output more reliable using it in the functions functional style. So it, it's basically a way of avoiding callback hell. I would say, I mean, promises are really a way of avoiding callback hell. I mean, it's. I, I would disagree with that. Um, I think the point of promises is to construct flow and handle errors, whereas callbacks don't have a good way to handle errors. Uh, I think reducing callback hell with promises is more of a good side effect, but not the purpose of promises. Cool. Well, I think my mind's officially exploded um, all over the place on the inside there. Um, so <laughs> I. You guys are just really awesome at explaining all this stuff, and I'm I'm actually going to be diving deeper into this and trying to implement some functional uh, stuff in my own uh, apps, including uh, React PHP and stuff like that. So, so I would um, throw out two things. Yes. Uh, one is uh, Igor Wheeler's like GitHub profile, obviously, because you will see every like <laughs> functional use of PHP there, uh, and then also someone. Asked you on Twitter this week why Larry Garfield wasn't in this. He has a pretty good presentation on functional programming in PHP. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, I which he, I think he's he's given it at Sunshine PHP before and probably a few other conferences. So Larry is the uh, one of the foremost Drupal evangelists and kind of responsible for getting Drupal and Symphony to play nice together. Uh, I think he's so from he has a, Yeah, he is. He actually he does work in Chicago. I don't know if he's coming to WorseCon though. I have to hassle on that. That's the second time he's, he was mentioned in the first one too. So we've got to, yeah. we definitely got to get him on here. Yeah. So definitely, I definitely pull up his slides. Uh, he has a really good talk up where he just using like normal PHP with like array map functions and the basic stuff to introduce the basics of functional programming with PHP. Sweet. So that's that's really cool. Before you get into Igor stuff and just start feeling like completely overwhelmed. <laughs> I'm feeling completely overwhelmed at the moment. It's just, it's good though. Any anything new is is good. I'm, you know, I'm always learning. That's that's my motto. Um, sort of wrapping it up a little bit, I wanted to kind of uh, quickly go over something that I wanted to close with every podcast, and that is something old, something new, something borrowed, and something deprecated. So from all you guys, what is something that's been around in PHP that's still awesome? 
Uh, I would throw out there all of the low-level C bindings for these, these like the, the fact that we have access to select and things like that. And um, maybe it was mentioned last week, but like the streams is just, has been there probably since PHP 4, um, but there's still learning like creative uses for them. Yeah. Davey, I think, or Cal mentioned that streams is Yeah, they, awesome. were, they were expounding about like how, uh, I think it was actually Davey who we was saying like these other languages have similar functionalities, but the PHP streams will allow you to do so much with, I probably shouldn't have watched last week's episode because I'm just repeating it. <laughs> um, but but I, they're still I, awesome. I, like the fact that you can make React um, and a, a lot of this stuff, aside from the, the closures and things, really just has been there, just sitting under our noses. And it, I mean, it wasn't until Rasmus and uh, Igor just had a random idea. It was like, oh, okay, I'll try and make this tonight. <laughs> sort of like the uh, socket stuff for MongoDB, which is going to happen later tonight, right? The, yeah, yeah. That's, I'm already working on it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, what about something brand new in PHP or something that's coming soon? that we can expect. That's awesome. It's just to me. But... Uh, no, it's for everybody. Okay. <laughs> is, I mean, is anyone else excited about uh, yield statements? And, and this is not even new anymore. It's like generators. 5.5 yeah. 5 is so old. I'm waiting for someone else to contribute that to React <laughs> so I can use it. Because <laughs> it seems like it would be a great idea. Uh, basically, basically everything on Nikita Popov's blog is outstanding. Yeah, cooperative uh, multitasking. I think yeah, Jeremy just volunteered. Yeah, his yeah. So uh, Nikita is. I don't think anyone's ever actually seen him in person. Uh, he might be a actual organization of people, uh, but he just blogs about all this, all a lot of the interesting cutting edge stuff on because uh, he's a, a PHP contributor. Uh, but he has an excellent blog article on kind of using generators and yield statements in PHP to do cooperative multitasking. So it'd be really easy to Google it by that. Sweet. Um, I think the new stuff in PHP is there. It's just the, like, it's kind of difficult to write a, a library that depends on 5.6 and expect enough people to use it. And de definitely for frameworks, right? So I think React now it depends on 5.4, but you have a lot of the largest frameworks are still 5.3. Um, and there's stuff like doctrine that I contribute on. Like I'd like to use traits and things, but it's, it's hard to bump a uh, dependency like that. But traits came out what in five four, and five three just got deprecated officially, right? Like end of life state. Yeah, um, but I mean, but WordPress still has to support five two, so. Oh boo! <laughs> I didn't know about that. No, but I mean, it's um, yeah. I, I, I think this is around the time where you can assume that most people pulling in stuff with composer packages are comfortable with five three and above because composer needs it. Uh, but as far as like. I mean, it shouldn't it shouldn't stop anyone from writing this stuff. Like that's what I definitely appreciate about a lot of the projects that Igor. Definitely. Um. So, what about something borrowed? Is there something that uh, PHP has borrowed from another language, or you've seen other languages borrow from PHP? <laughs> React. React. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna well, refuse to answer this question. I'm just gonna somebody else chime in here. I think PHP steals everything from every language. That's that's one of the things that makes it great. It does. No, like Lynn is the biggest generate, in space right now. Generators came from Python, namespaces and the object oriented movement kind of, as much as I'm gonna get flamed for this, Java. Um, <laughs> there's a great article, I forget who wrote it. It's called um, PHP is a pirate's language. I highly recommend reading that. Cool. It's like the history of how PHP has stolen everything from everybody else. 
yeah, exactly. And how we should celebrate that and embrace it. And like, we get the best things from other languages. It's wonderful. We just happened to get them 20 years later, right? <laughs> After they've been perfected. <laughs> After they've been perfected. That's the most yeah, optimistic. Until everybody heard. else screws it up, and then we come in and steal it the last second. <laughs> yeah, but really, if you research stuff from the 60s, there's nothing new in programming. Any language. Like, <laughs> what, Node, what Go is doing, that stuff has all been done before. It's cool, but yeah. like, it's it's nothing new. It's just a new perspective for, for us. Yeah, absolutely. And we talked about that a little bit last week where there's been a concept that's been around for 20 years and then all of a sudden it's the new hotness this week just called something else, you know. Actually, Glenn, you uh, mentioned last time that uh, Perl actually invented package management, right? C-SPAN or C-SPAN? C-PAN. C-PAN. It, it was definitely the precursor for pretty much everything, um, and everybody copied them. That's why I chose Perl in the beginning because it had C-PAN, and it was amazing. Um, but I, uh, to, to, to counter what, what – um, I forgot who was saying it, but I'd say the – Almost everything is completely old. Like everything, Common Lisp pretty much did everything. But but Haskell is is actually something that's doing something new. But other than Haskell, everything is completely old. Is Erlang before Haskell? Because Erlang is also a functional programming language, right? Oh, definitely. If you use Erlang, Erlang is like, it feels like it was designed by a telecom company in the 80s. Because it was. <laughs> was. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Oh, oh. Glenn, Glenn sounds like an angry math professor here yelling at us about Haskell. <laughs> well, wasn't Haskell created around the same time, like 20 yeah, years I'm, ago? I'm a, I'm a total Haskell fanboy. There's no question. Cool. I mean, this seems like something we should be able to Google. Indeed. Everything is just a Google away. <laughs> um, lastly, what is something that's uh, deprecated, deprecated in the language or the community in, in PHP uh, that we are just going to no longer see? Popping around. Pair. Pair. That's that's like, true. Not actually deprecated, but might as well be. What about? You know, I heard that as hair, and I almost laughed because it's true. So th this puts us in an interesting situation because the PHP extensions are currently very dependent on Peckle, which yeah. is essentially pair. And, yeah, what is uh, the difference, by the way? Uh, just basically different. Uh, this, this, the the main protocols and the way you outline dependencies and stuff, I think, are very similar. Um, and that's why if you, if you run the the uh, command line tools, they basically have the same options uh, and the same bad option parsing syntax, which requires <laughs> like the flags to be before the package name and stuff like that. Oh, um, but with I know so Composer is going in a direction, and I heard this talked about at a HHVM conference where um, possibly for HHVM dependencies they'd like to use Composer. Uh, for stuff. And I know um, Pierre from Microsoft is working with uh, Niels to kind of get uh, a way to compile PHP extensions without going through Peckle, just so they can be uh, more easily installed, especially on uh, non-Linux platforms, which is kind of a chore. Uh, so I see a point down the line where we might be able to get rid of Peckle or Peckle would change. Um, because it's, uh, yeah, pair is kind of, I think with PHP unit moving off a of pair, that was kind of the big thing in the bucket. There's still a lot of pair packages out there, but that was probably the the largest um, domino to fall. Um, uh, I will not be sad to see it go. 
Composer is probably one of the other great things that we could say was borrowed from another language, because uh, definitely there was a lot of that based on, uh, and some of the feedback of people that have worked with multiple package managers and have said, oh, how nice Composer is compared to some other uh, projects. So basically it was one of the most recent ones implemented and uh, Jordi and Niels were able to pluck the good things about NPM and um, Gem uh, and these other things and not take the, the headaches from them. So, so not that, to say that's perfect, but it's definitely, we've benefited from going so long in the dark ages <laughs> that uh, uh, now, now we have a feather in our cap. <laughs> I have to echo what Jeremy says. Uh, I have to use, I think, five or six different package managers for different languages in my day job. And Bauer, is, yeah. <laughs> Yum. <laughs> uh, CocoaPods, like m many different. PIP, and PIP's good. I like PIP. But Composer yeah. is just in my opinion, and it is just an opinion, the best of them. And I got the pleasure of talking to Niels when I was in Montreal. And I was like, you guys did such a fantastic job. And he said, well, we saw everything Maven and what all the other ones did wrong. He said, oh we, took, <laughs> he said we, took, we took the good things and tried to do the best job. And I was like, wow, you're exactly right. So why did this one fail? And he goes, I don't know. The one that came after that. Um, the new thing in JavaScript, it seems to make a package manager. There's a new one every day. The problem with the new JavaScript package managers is they try and distribute them through NPM. Sorry, that wasn't I wasn't being serious, but I'm just going to count that as another pun. <laughs> That's six. So we're, I was looking at my pun counter and we're nice. a little light. I love it. I love it. Um, Pablito um, from Twitter uh, just said that there's an interesting project based on CKAN or uh, CKAN. Yeah, built on Drupal, and he recommends checking it out. It's Git uh, on Twitter. It's at Git D K A N. Uh, does he, do, do any of you guys know what about what he's talking about? I have no idea what that is. You're saying it's it's based on CCAN? Uh, he says it's an interesting project based on CCAN, but built uh, built on Drupal. Drupal. I'm assuming it's a. Uh, it says it's a the Drupal Open Data Platform is the the, the TLDR version on Twitter. So uh, I'm, I'm just assuming it's a look up on it. Yeah. <laughs> it, uh, oh, it's a DCAN is a Drupal-based open oh, data platform. DCAN. With a full suite of cataloging, um, publishing, and visualization features that allows for governments, nonprofits, and universities to easily publish data to the public. Oh, is this I, like a, a package repository for like uh, open data? Uh, I would guess. I guess functionally programmed, I guess, or just random shout out. Either way, you got a free promo there. Um, <laughs> Mission accomplished. Yes. <laughs> Speaking of free promos, uh, we're just going to wrap things up. And uh, I want to give all you guys just a, a, an opportunity to do a shameless plug. Uh, Jeremy, I'm going to put you on the spot. We'll start with you. Do you have a shameless plug you want to close out with? So I don't know what everyone else is doing on Saturday, September 20th, but I'm going to be in Chicago or driving <laughs> to Chicago or in a hospital in Ohio because we had a car accident on my way <laughs> to get sausages with a bunch of other PHP lads and lasses. Uh, for WorstCon. That's uh, W-U-R-S-T-C-O-N.com. Please visit that so I don't feel so bad for blowing $10.60 on a domain name, which will soon be expired. And if this is a success, I could promise we will have a international WorstCon next year, most likely in Krakow and Berlin. So, big announcement there. <laughs> nice. I'm totally there, dude. I mean, do you guys yeah, are I want to thank you. Sammy's been an amazing help with some of the logistical planning uh, he's been an excellent co-events coordinator. I'm totally <laughs> talking about this as if it's a more serious planned conference than it actually is. And uh, I even heard Kyle is going to be there as well because I made him a logo for his meetup group. 
Oh, yeah. And I'd like to thank Chicago PHP for sponsoring. Uh, they didn't actually approve anything. I just decided to list them on the website. So that's been a wonderful relationship. Yeah, it's, it was approved before. Trust me. Yeah. And I'm trying the to recruit, I got uh, was approved. We're trying to get ServerGrove as a lanyard sponsor. I'm still waiting to hear <laughs> back from Pablo. <laughs> well, there's going to be drinks at my place. Hopefully, we can pregame before going to like a Cubs game or something like that. Or if you guys just want to, you guys are welcome to crash my place if you need to, to just sleep on the floor. We'll, we'll get some blow-up mattresses and stuff. It'll be fun. Um, do like slumber party at my place. <laughs> we, should do a, we should do a live roundtable. Dude, I'm I'm down. Let's do it. With an actual roundtable. With an actual roundtable. I've got a square one, so we'll just we'll we'll we'll. Fake no one it. has to know. Keep the camera oh, aimed true, up high. True. 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 <laughs> Uh, Chris, you got anything you want to shamelessly plug? Uh, sure. React, Ratchet, use them, contribute, please. Speaking of that, uh, there's a guy, Steve Rhodes, uh, who just posted on Twitter um, an example of MMO slash chat built on uh, React, PHP, and Ratchet. Yes, uh, his oh. was the presentation I was referring to earlier. That oh. was the one in the same Steve Rhodes, because there's actually a lot of them. It's very common. <laughs> Go to the link right now. It's a multiplayer game. You will all play together. Uh, I'll do a shout-out to Steve, though. He, uh, he's he been contributing to React lately, and um, just want to thank him for his contributions. They've been a great help. I'm doing it right now. I'm playing. I just said this is Sammy. So you oh. can move, use your arrow keys. Ooh. I have a little, I have a little guy in there. He's, he's got horns. This is a neat little – and this is built on – React and dude, this is everybody needs to do React. So this is amazing. actually one of the more significant professional things you can do with React. <laughs> Every, there's like four or five people in here right now just moving their little avatars around. That's great. <laughs> All right. Um and Glenn, where did Glenn go? Oh, we lost Glenn. I was gonna give him a time to, to promote something, but he's uh he's a core contributor to Mojalicious. So if you guys get an opportunity to check out Mojalicious, um if you're if you're frustrated with the PHP and you're like, oh screw it, I'm moving to another language. Uh, Pearl might be that you're calling, and uh, if you have any questions, you could just hit him up on Twitter. Uh, I think it's at Timpire, T-E-M-P-I-R-T-I-E-R, but that, that, no. No, I, I have no idea what his Twitter <laughs> handle is. Uh, so we're moving on to uh, Kyle. Uh, do you have anything to shamelessly plug? As always, uh, the Chicago PHP user group. Uh, also going to plug uh, WorseCon. I will be there. I will be drinking. I probably will not be uh, sober for most of the time, but that's my plan. Um, also, I, I completely destroyed uh, P-Thread, so I'm sure I'm going to Twitter yell at that one later. Uh, maybe that's our next thing, someone uh, who can speak more to P-Threads than we can, so, or at least I can, because I've only used it in very small things. So. P-Threads is, of course, short for pun threads, and yeah. I'm... I'm sure you're going to relish WorseCon. Ah, pun number seven. This is awesome. Oh, this is horrible. I don't know if anyone else got the vibe from Glenn's seating position. I kind of thought he was using web TV uh, to chat with us. Might have. Mm. He's got an interesting setup. I like that guy. His He's... car turned into a bed. <laughs> I haven't had one of those beds since I was six years old. <laughs> A big car bed. Love it. All right. So, guys, um, thanks so much for being on. Uh, our next episode is we're going to be talking about P uh, APIs and PHP with uh, Jeremy Lindblom, Matt Frost. And I'm trying to get Phil Sturgeon on, on this bad boy because he's like the API guy. Um, I sent him a tweet. Keep he has your finger a on the sensor button. What's that? 
Keep your finger on the sensor button. On the sensor button. I know it'll be the podcast that I have to mark as explicit so far, probably. He might demand to be. He might demand to be the host. I don't know if he does. (laughs) That would be totally fine. I, you know, he's got that cool British accent. That would be excellent. Um, So we're actually going to be asking some questions about like our modern web apps moving all their domain logic into the client side, like in JavaScript, and all we need uh, in the back end is some API, uh, and we're running that with PHP or something. Uh, And we're also going to look at some modern API thingies that uh, the latest and greatest 2.0 Twittery thingy. That's the best way that I can describe it at the moment. Um, if there's something you'd like to share about APIs, uh, if you feel like you're an expert, you're, you, you need to be on the panel for next week's episode. So just hit me up on Twitter if you're interested. My handle is at Sammy K, um, or just Sammy K, you know, the at, I guess everybody assumes it's Twitter, right? Uh, thank you, Jeremy, Chris, Glenn, Kyle, for joining in for this discussion, and we will see you guys next episode. Thanks, Sammy. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Cheers. Roundtable is recorded live using Google Hangouts on air. If you'd like to get more information about the live broadcasts, visit phproundtable.com. While you're on the site, join the mailing list to get notified about the next live episode. And hey, maybe even join the conversation at the roundtable. We'd love to hear what you have to say. The theme music is provided by Ben Sound at bensound.com. The PHP Roundtable logo was designed by Clint McManaman, and you can find him at McManaman.co. That's M-C-M-A-N-A-M-A-N dot C-O. Thanks for listening. I'm Sammy K. Powers, and I hope you'll join us for the next episode.